again. It's Wednesday. I have Jeff with me. Hey, how's it going? And we are continuing to discuss resource management games today by looking at some slightly more complex examples than we were discussing on Monday. kind of ripping into it and the big thing that we in talking we were discussing you know have you played this have you played that and in doing so and in talking about it it became clear that most of the bigger games we were talking about like power grid or raiders of the north sea which is you know more worker placement but bears a lot of resource management within it sure all the games that are really more complex add one big new mechanic Mm -hmm. which is player interaction agreed and that leads to a lot more like we were talking about earlier in the week uh uh, basically disguising or masking the goal making it harder to be more efficient because there's now player interaction not only is there the race to reach the top but now you have that crabs in a bucket kind of environment where every time a player starts climbing to the top everyone else pulls them back down right um plus managing your resources to be able to do that which mm-hmm. makes for a lot more complex and a lot more interesting uh, play in the games. Yeah, definitely. One that I have a particular affinity for right now is Raiders of the North Sea. Uh, mm-hmm. I've been loving that game. And I think that's such an interesting one because where we were talking about things with Ethnos and Ticket to Ride, where you have this uh, partial available resource and then a bunch of face-down stuff that you can pull from, the resources in Raiders are all on the board from the beginning. And like set goals and like yeah. behind gates of... Oh, you want all this gold? Well, you're, you and your opponents are going to have to do these things before they ever become available. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really interesting mechanism. And then you also have that thing of one of the resources that is available is death for your people who you are sending to collect the rest. It's such a good which is, game. Well, it's great because I, and I played a game recently where um, the resources in this, incidentally, are livestock, uh, gold, and iron, which all have their own purposes. Uh, and I played a game recently where every single location that had livestock also had death. So you couldn't... I, bearing in mind this is Vikings... Give me cows and give me death. Right. But it's, 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 <laughs> it's literally, you, uh, you know, everywhere. if you wanted livestock, you had to start throwing your guys away. And you get points for throwing your guys away in this game because they're going to Valhalla and dying in glorious battle, like which is any what Vikings, true Viking game. Right, they want to do. But that really intrigued me. And then the, the interesting thing, when uh, Scott taught me this game, uh, he said, here are the three ending conditions. It ends when, and it's when all the death is gone off the board, all the Valkyries have been have been found, five of the six fortresses have been raided, or the stack of offerings runs out. And the stack of offerings is you're paying the resources to get points. And as a general rule, an offering is worth double the points of the resources you spend on it. So they're a good thing to do. And he said, I've never seen the game end because that stack has been depleted. And my wife and I have played this game quite a lot. And we consistently get that stack down to one or two cards. And I think on three occasions now, the game has ended because of it. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think that's, it's so interesting because it, one of the, it demonstrates your point of adding mechanisms. I think the other thing with these more complicated resource management games is resource management has a habit of becoming a part of a bigger whole. Absolutely. Because at the end of the day, much like we were talking about on Monday, a basic efficiency game, resource management game, is boring. Yeah. And so you need to add things to make it harder to math, but also Mm -hmm. just make it more interesting. Sure. And the more mechanics you add, obviously the more complex the game gets. But the more you build around that shell of a resource game, the more interesting the game gets. Mm -hmm. Case in point, 
what we're going to talk about later in the week at, uh, with Scythe. Sure. I'm so excited about because that's <laughs> literally every possible mechanic you could put into a game on top of resource management. It kind of feels like it, yeah. But we'll save that one for Friday. Definitely. Um, but the key thing is that what happens in Raiders a lot of the time is exactly that player interaction where because of a lot of the crew that you can get on the boat you antagonize one another so much Mm -hmm. and you uh, clip each other's wings. You steal gold, you steal resources, you steal silver from each other, the silver being the money in the game. You steal each other's money, you steal each other's resources so constantly that it gets really hard to build up the snowball to uh, either find the final Vikings or attack the final fortresses to end the game. Mm -hmm. And you end up kind of just pawing at each other and nibbling resources for so much of the game that eventually... Out of a lack of of ability to climb that final hurdle, the offering deck gets depleted and the game ends. Right. It it feels weirdly that the resource management element is almost a scapegoat or an escape (laughs) tool from from the endless hell that you get into of everybody beating on each other in that game. Well, and interestingly, you were saying with Ticket to Ride that the random shuffle creates something. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also, that distribution of resources, like my, all the cows will kill you. Um, We also had a game where all the iron was in the harbors. Uh, and oh, you wow. use, or not all of it, but most of it. And you use iron in this game to build armor, which makes you stronger. And so everyone got powerful really fast. And I think it was the quickest game I've played because we were attacking the fortresses within half an hour of starting the game mm-hmm. because we'd got that strong. Uh, so it's, I think there's a, there's a lot of variety in the games that can be created because of that resource distribution. Yeah, the variance to the game keeps it fresh. It's, it's super important. Most in-depth and uh, bigger games while keeping the information public usually mm-hmm. will have a lot of variance to them yeah they'll, they'll have a limited amount of secret information uh and usually that'll come down to like secret goals things like that mm-hmm. uh however most of those games as much as possible everything is super public for sure but mixed up as much as possible so that it stays fresh so with that born in mind let's come on to something you mentioned last time which is power grid mm. and there's a game that has it's got a similar thing to ticket to ride in the random shuffle of the the power plants and all that sort of thing but uh you know that's for, not as well known as ticket to ride so for the benefit of anyone who hasn't played it how what's what's the deal with power grid power grid is great power grid is sort of this like sort of combination of Ticket to Ride with Angry Monopoly. <laughs> where <laughs> so true. you are all power grid managers, you're all companies attempting to, to power different maps depending on what version of the game you're playing. Sure. Uh, and your overall goal is to buy access to cities, and then you're given money for building power plants that power those cities. Mm-hmm. So it kind of combines a bit of Monopoly's purchasing power and uh, buying properties with Ticket to Ride's overall market money management buy stuff to control the map and block your opponents as well right it's a lot of money management there's a lot of resource management to the game uh that makes it super interesting Mm -hmm. it's really cool um the power plants all come down to uh, being powered by multiple different resources which is where the resource management part of the game comes into play and the game gets super interesting. Right, and it's one of the things that intrigues me about that because you can you buy your power plants, sure, you're spending money to do that, but then you have to power the power plants with the things that, power, that, that, that they function from, which would be coal, oil, nuclear, or garbage. Uh, or if you're really lucky, you get a geothermal that powers itself. Uh, or not geothermal, I guess it's, it's solar. There's wind. Or wind power. I think there wind might, there might be geothermal, but there's They're definitely wind turbines. wind turbines. No, you're right. 
And the interesting thing is you get to start the auctions if you're the first player, which is great because you're auctioning for these power plants. Um, you may not get the one you initially go for, but you get to pick the order kind of thing and, and work with it. Mm-hmm. But you also get the cheapest resources because if the market is flooded with you know, nuclear rods or something... Mm-hmm. You get to buy them at their best price, and then everyone else around the table is going to feel it if they need those, because they're going to suddenly have to start paying more for them. But also, it's a really nice... It's both a balancing and a harmful mechanic around that player interaction. Right. Because all the power plants are not purchased, you bid for them. Yeah. And meaning that before you start a bid... You are essentially telling people how badly you want a thing. Yeah. If you're willing to drop a bunch of coin on an, on uranium and then you, you know, do a soft bid for a nuclear power plant, then players know that you're very invested in getting this plant and they can drive up the price. Yeah. Or you can use it as a bait where you stick them with a power plant that they don't have fuel for. The, the resource management is used, A, to allow you to get dibs on a resource that you're intending to use. Right. But also create a nice back and forth to fuel the variance. Mm-hmm. It's a beautifully designed game where the resource management aspects both soften and exacerbate the player interaction. That, that more angry monopoly portion of the game. Absolutely. So we're talking about how we're balancing hands of cards and things like that and, you know, what we're using to spend on what. So basically, the you know, an ideal resource management game is Catan, right? <laughs> I, I am a huge, huge anti-Catan player because Catan takes all the things that we're talking about as being good and manages to turn them into negatives. Okay, explain. It, it, while the game is... It is very dated because a lot of people have improved on the systems that it uses. And those two systems, to run with what we're talking about today, would be player interaction and resource management. Mm -hmm. Or invariance to keep the resource management fresh. Sure. Which is the key thing. And so speaking of those in turn, with variance, Catan, by using the dice, creates focal points every game that are, by the nature of the variance, just better. If the purpose of variance is to prevent the game from having optimal strategies, Catan completely fails at this by creating eights and sixes that naturally create optimal strategies every game. And so the players who can stick a city or, God forbid, two cities on a couple of those sixes and eights by the mid-game will mathematically be extremely advantaged by the end of the game. And a lot of people are going to be saying, well, what about the thief, that the bandit, that, you know, limits that? Well, the bandit is the other problem, which is player interaction. Player interaction in Catan is extremely limited. Right. There's no way to knock each other off the board. There's no way to punish a player spending all their resources to take these spots. As soon as you take one of these spots by a six or an eight, it's yours. There's no escape from that. You now claim that. But not only that, you block other people from being able to use that six or eight just by being there. And you can never be stopped from being there. And the bandit, while, yes, being rolled on a seven, and yes, blocking that six or eight, sevens are so frequent that you'll move him again almost immediately. And the odds of that number being hit before a seven is lower than the seven. So there's better odds of that bandit being forced to move from that spot than there is of the number he's blocking being rolled. Right. And finally, if a player has multiple cities, has gotten to the point where they're snowballing, they are also already accessing the resources that give them uh, player cards. The, the uh, what are they called? The uh, development cards. 
which means that they already have knights, mathematically, to block your strategy in the first place. Right. So that before they even roll the dice to maybe be blocked, they can move the bandit and then get their resources. So the player interaction is extremely hamstrung. It, it really doesn't affect the board at all. The bandit is there more as a game design pad to prevent a player from getting too many resources than it is player interaction. Mm. And the game, through its variance, doesn't actually prevent first-order optimal strategies, which are essentially parts of the board that are so good, that's always where you play. Mm. And that, yes, there's some school of thought of, we'll take a harbor. Yeah, harbors are great. They give you better trades, but they also give you fewer resources and fewer hits. Absolutely. And the other thing that's uh, kind of a tricky thing with that, too, is if for some reason you don't start rolling sevens, you run into the inherent problem of that resource is then depleted from the game, potentially. Mm -hmm. Especially if there's only one location where players actually have... Let's say the stone in the game is on 8, 12, and 2, and you block that 8... All of a sudden, no one's getting stone anymore, and actually you run out fairly rapidly. It's without... worse than that. Yeah. You now control the stone. Right. So every player has to give you whatever you want if they want to be able to play the game. Right. And so you, it creates these systems where not only is there key efficiency points every game, but whoever best uses those points strangleholds the game, unless mm. their luck is extremely poor. It's. Uh, I mean, it's. It retains its popularity. So obviously, it has. It has its people. But well, at the end of the day, it, it's easy to beat on. But that's like beating on a Super Nintendo game right. for being archaic. Yeah, of course it's archaic. It's an older game. It came early, and yeah. when it came out, it was revolutionary, and it showed an understanding of these systems. The variance does do keep the game fresh. There is some player interaction. It it exercises these things, but just compared to games. Nowadays, like Power Grid or more modern examples like Raiders, they do it so well mm -hmm. that it really shows how flawed the systems in Catan are. It, it, it's wrong to beat on it because it is an older game and it just sure. is from another era of game design. Absolutely. And well, with that, we're going to leave the discussion for today, but we're going to come back on Friday where we're going to talk about a couple of games that do resource management very differently and very successfully uh, if we manage to get in a word in Edgeways outside of Jeff talking about Scythe. Uh, so we, we will see you on Friday. Bye for now.